Amber Brown, podcaster in the accounting, finance, and fintech space. Our flagship show, Accounting Influencers, is now one of the world's leading podcasts in this genre and has a number of spin off shows over the years. This particular show is now focusing on talent, which, let's face it, is one of the biggest challenges for the accounting world at the moment. And the format stays the same. I interview the experts, the influencers, and the leaders in many different aspects of culture, talent employer brand succession, talent attraction, retention, soft skills, accounting credentials, qualifications, leadership, mental well-being, the brand of the profession, employee value propositions, employee engagement, increasing capacity and headcount in accounting firms, career development, and the usual HR, learning development, DEI, the great resignation, a ton of other talent-related issues in accounting. And whether you're hiring or being hired, happy where you are or considering a move, leading or following, employed or self-employed, totally skilled up and super employable or needing to refresh your skills, sharpen your personal brand. This is the perfect podcast for you accounting, finance and tech professionals to stay competitive, relevant and informed about all things talent in accounting. So let's get moving with today's show. Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Welcome to our Influencers in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown. And on behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, five shows going out every day of the week, five altogether. This is our deep dive show where we bring on a special guest and interview them. These are people that have been around the block, they've done their thing, they've got a great reputation, they've got a huge amount of expertise, and I'm thrilled to have with me today one of the legends of the accounting and fintech game. It is Donny Shimamoto. Hello, sir. Hi, Rob. Wow, I think I think that's the first time I've been called a legend, so... Does that sit well with you? Are you okay with that and ego and everything else, Donny? I, I don't know. I was, you know, I thought... I don't know. Do you have to be old to be a legend? Does that mean I'm old now? <laughs> well, we'll obviously let the listeners make up their own mind after hearing what you've got to say. But uh, it is thrilled to, thrilling to have you on the show, Donnie. For people that haven't come across you, tell us real quick about you and your world. Sure. Thank you. Uh, so I often describe myself as a non-traditional CPA. And, and I actually have a CPA firm, but we don't do audit, tax or bookkeeping. The only thing that we do is business transformations. And that really comes kind of in two different uh, maybe aspects. The first is really more innovation. That's what most people associate me with is technology, innovation. Um, but as we many of us learned in the pandemic, innovation is not just about technology. It's also about changes in business practices. And so, for example, with hybrid work, it wasn't just about putting Zoom and all these other tools in people's hands. If you only did that, you probably are losing people now because you needed to adapt the way that you led people. You needed to adapt the way that you managed work. And so that's one side of what we do. And then we uh, balance that with risk management. And I often like to say integrated risk management because it's the whole picture of risk rather than just the financial picture of risk, which we're normally dealing with as accountants. Um, some people call it enterprise risk management. I don't like to call it that because we deal with primarily small and mid-sized organizations and small and mid-sized firms. And so enterprise people think big, but it is the whole spectrum of enterprise risk management. We've just right-sized it down to small and mid-sized. And we're going to get you on it for a couple of shows, Donnie. You've got so many areas of expertise. I'm intrigued by this concept of accounting transformation because accountants are not necessarily known for their ability to transform and pivot on a dime and their agility. And even when you mentioned the word innovation, there, CPAs and their ilk, 
they're not known for that. So let's kick off by asking you just a general question. What kind of shape do you feel the accounting profession is in right now? Uh, you know, actually, let's back up a little bit. So that statement that you said that accountants are not known for being innovative. Are you going to educate me and uh, put me straight? I think it's actually relative. So if you look at where the accounting world is compared to the other learned professions, medicine, uh, law, uh, even education, like all of these type of technology tools, we were way ahead than any of the other professions. Look at even the adoption, for example, of social media. You and I were talking earlier about being on LinkedIn Live. Uh, we have been using these, you know, especially people well, like Tom Hood, who we just discussed. We've been using these for, what, 10 years, maybe even actually more than that. Because I, I know my first time on Twitter was 2008 or 2009, I think. And I was a, maybe not a, total late adopter, but I was maybe a, uh, not the second, or, I was maybe the second wave of adoption in that. So we, our profession, despite what people may think, actually is quite forward and looking at these innovations and incorporating them into the way that we, maybe not necessarily the way that we do accounting, but they're definitely a part of our profession. So I, I always like to kind of correct that one, you know, to really look at uh, even, you know, the whole use of ERPs and all of these things, like those are things that we drive and incorporate into organizations, cloud computing, like all of this stuff. That's the, th those are the things that we're bringing in. I feel educated on that point. But, uh, <laughs> perhaps you're slightly not representative, Donnie, in that you are very much an innovator. You're an entrepreneurial thinker. The profession as a whole might not be a, at the early adopter stage of the curve like you are in that you're slightly unrepresentative. We've got some stats that suggest here in the UK, only about 9% of firms and therefore accountants are in that early adopter phase where they will look at new technology, they will proactively innovate what they're doing in their firms. But obviously you accelerate them in what you do with what you call accounting transformation. So I want to ask you more about that. And we'll talk about your Center for Accounting Transformation in a minute, but let's just define that term. In your dictionary of life and business, what does transformation mean for accounts? Sure, sure. So with transformation, it's it's, uh, and we're purposely using the word transformation because trans transformative change is much more larger and holistic. And you heard me already kind of allude towards that with the integrated risk management. So how are we driving truly transformative change, holistic change? Uh, in all aspects of accounting and recognizing again that accounting is not just finance. Because when you look at especially mid-sized organization, controllers in mid-sized organizations often oversee IT, they also oversee HR. And so it's a lot of changes and I might even say business practice changes as a whole. So looking at, again, the whole picture of an organization and how do we manage that change accordingly? And this is where the accounting side is going to come in. How do we look at the risks associated with changes and what are the controls or the strategies that we might use, change management strategies that we may use to ensure that we're getting adoption of these, of these changes that we're bringing in. And when you do larger scale or maybe whole scale change, it is a lot more risky. Uh, that's why, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we balance innovation with risk management. Because if you just push forward, innovate, 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 you're operating more like a startup. And none of us want to be in that startup phase. Well, I think as accountants, maybe I should say, none of us want to be in that startup phase. I definitely agree with you that, that our, our profession tends to wait for things to kind of stabilize per se, or at least have some best practices start to come out. But once those do start to come out, 
you know, we we see a lot more. And uh, you know, because I I really I'm I'm list. I heard you say the stat, and I'm thinking, you know, in the U.S., I know that we see a lot more larger firms adopting things, pushing things forward. They're just not as vocal or um, about it, you know, because the when I start to talk to firms about things, I hear like, oh, you actually are doing that. Oh, you're actually experimenting with that. And it may not be that they adopt it, but part of that is because we it is managing this full-scale change. And they, especially in tax and audit, um, you know, in the U.S. in particular, again, we have these core busy seasons that everyone's affected by. And so to adopt a wholesale change, it takes a lot more and it does need to be more mature of a technology when we get there. So accounting tra transformation really, again, kind of in a bigger picture, not just technology, not just um, innovation for itself, but really this holistic change as we go through things. Accountants obviously are in the business of managing risk. That's their bread and butter, isn't it? But the innovative side of it is uh, it's an interesting angle. Talk to us about the Center for Accounting Transformation, Donnie. What, how did that come about? What are you doing there? Yeah, the uh, thanks for asking. That's that's like this has been a passion and project of mine. And we actually started the first conversations around this. It's actually six years ago, I think now. Uh, I got a group together. It was actually mostly practitioners, but we actually had some vendor representatives as well because we saw that you know, the the large institutions in our profession were not really pushing the profession forward and were really looking out for big business and public companies. And we started these discussions around what do we need to do or how do we help the rest of the, the profession really start to come in and adopt these things. And over the course of those years, we've um, I've been working to figure out like, how do we actually do this? What do we actually do? And so last year we started, uh, we, we launched this Center for Accounting Transformation, really focused on small and mid-sized firms and small and mid-sized businesses. And what we're doing in the center is we're identifying uh, what we call blueprints. So we have this concept of enterprise blueprints. Most people know me as with enterprise technologies, my firm. So the word enterprise is really the internal workings of an organization. So it's effectively accounting, HR, and IT. And what we're doing is we're identifying these blueprints, which allow us to have a, a model that with the lower complexity, usually in small and mid-sized businesses, we're able to take this model and have them follow this model and then the business practices associated with that. So a lot of these are process models, but they also have some business practices changes that come with them. So for example, the adoption of value pricing, uh, we, one of the things we work with is the um, the automation of the tax return and, and, and how do we look at that? So that's workflow. It's also looking at all the sets of solutions that are in there. And then what are the business practice changes like switch to value pricing rather than doing, doing hourly pricing. So it's really looking at all of these different aspects, not just in tax, we're also looking at audit, we're looking at finance, um, we're looking at the way that a firm operates, so practice management, and uh, our big emphasis right now with everyone struggling for people is the changes to people practices. So there's a lot of like HR consultants out there that are talking about employee engagement and doing all this stuff. So they're only looking at it through the one lens. We're also looking at it through what technologies actually support this, what business practices changes, for example, the adoption of agile methodologies into accounting the um and how do i use that for work management or work or even workflow management and what solutions tie together so we're really trying to bring all of these different perspectives together to get a transformative solution in the people area that does make so much sense 
in splitting accounting transformation into various sections because transformation is an overwhelming word and we you'll probably find you talk to cpa firms all the time that they're doing well in some areas and not so much in others they're they've got audit nailed and they've got tax nailed but their their business model and their firm and their processes or their finance or they're outsourcing and talent people stuff you've got to even all it up i guess to be wholly transformative you've hit on it exactly and that's again bringing this whole holistic picture in a lot of firms have done one thing here or there there and so we're really looking at the whole picture. And that, that's one of the things that we do is we have actually a transformation assessment that we do that looks at <clears throat> six major areas of a firm. But within that, it's actually 89 different organizational competencies where we say, OK, what is the firm doing in all of these different areas? And we actually score kind of scorecard them in terms of where are you now? Where do you want to be? And what's then the gap or where they're, you know, maybe you're maybe within one area, like the people area, you're doing, say, 10 out of the 30 things really well. Um, What about the other 20? Maybe these are opportunities for improvement. And I can see how that would be so valuable to a firm because that idea of proximity bias, you get so close to what you do. You don't see it as remarkable. You don't know what's best practice and what isn't. So you're giving them those standards, if you like, and showing them where the gaps are, what they're missing that they may not even have thought about. Completely, completely. Yeah, and you you mentioned best practice. So I'll also mention that the assessment that we do has four levels and we call it the, the four Bs. The first is below basic, which we consider non-compliant or especially if like there's a, a, compli- a law or regulation that you need to comply with. So below basic is going to be you're not actually complying or you're, you're where we're seeing firms actually get into have problems. The basic level is generally mainstream, um, but it's kind of like you're doing things at as it says, a very basic level, you know, the end point is the best, which you've mentioned the best practices. But what we also find, and actually, maybe I might take back a little of what I said, but that firms are not often willing to do the best practices. They don't have the time or it's just not as important. So we've identified kind of this middle ground that we call the better practice. And this is what we're seeing, perhaps the early majority starting to adopt or firms that are really excelling are really starting to do this type of stuff if they're not at the best level. And so we have this this scale that we kind of help people really think through, like what really makes sense for my firm. And these blueprints that you're talking about, what I do know about best practice is that it's evolving because what was best practice last year or pre-pandemic is not necessarily best practice now. So you're setting out these blueprints. Just talk to us as an example uh, about the the tax blueprint and the tax return preparation automation. So talk to us a little bit about that, Donnie, and what's involved there. I'll I'll talk in a little bigger picture first, because you you brought up a really good point, is that these things are not static, you know, and everyone knows technology is not static. And so it's uh, even if you were to adopt a blueprint, one of our blueprints now, that doesn't mean, say, two or three years from now, you need to revisit it again, right? So it's all about continually looking at the the whole picture and kind of towards that same um, concept is the way that we work with clients is we say, where do you want to be three to five years from now? So tell us where this endpoint is. And then we look at where they are now and we build the transformation roadmap for them to get there. And as we, uh, and through this, we normally will identify like at least 30 projects that say over the course of the next three to five years, you're going to do these 30 projects. Here's kind of the sequence. And we work with with firms to really like prioritize that. And then as things change, as we go through year to year as projects, maybe sometimes as a result of a project, they learn something, say, ooh, 
we're not doing so good in this other area. Oh, that's a project here. Maybe we better accelerate that. Or there's maybe been a change in the technology. So year to year, as we as we revisit the roadmap with clients, we say, well, here are the changes that have come in. And this is what you should be aware of. Is your prioritization still the same? Is your vision actually still the same? So we work, we work through a lot of that. So with tax, the, as you've mentioned, the that's where, uh, unfortunately, for tax side, <laughs> there's not usually a ton of change in tax technology. Um, that's actually both a boon and a bane to the tax side. Uh, what we find is changing in the tax side is really kind of the staffing and the, the need for better maturity and processes. Uh, us being coming originally from the IT area, we saw a lot of this with the original IT outsourcing out to India. A lot of that occurred out in right late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, there was a certain level of process maturity that was needed. Uh, CMMI, if people are familiar with that, that really needed to be adopted. So we're looking at all of this type of stuff and you immediately hear CMMI, most people probably haven't heard of it. And something comes from Gartner and immediately go, well, this is big companies. Again, what we do is we look and we say, okay, how do we adapt that down and make it usable by somebody that's smaller? And what is the appropriate level of process maturity? Again, maybe it's not at the best level. Maybe it just needs to be at the better level. Now, if you're operating in this way, how do I then collaborate with remote staff, outsource staff, offshore staff? Because it could be onshore, it could be offshore. So that's really the thing that we're looking at now is how does tax return preparation change if I'm using offshore? Because it's not a matter of me just taking a file and handing it over to someone at the next desk. Because the next desk is millions of miles away. Right? I totally get that. You change A, and then that has a knock-on effect for B, C, and D. Or if you change A in a different way, that has a different knock-on effect. Uh, give us an, another example with audit, uh, Donny. I understand you've got an innovation awareness for audit, some kind of a source uh, course, and that lets people know where they are. And there's lots of things to consider there, isn't there, with your research? Yeah. So audit, audit's an interesting one. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story about how we ended up doing this innovation uh, awareness for audit course. So we, we actually had a large firm in New York approach us, and they came to me and said, we, we know your, uh, I'll use your word, we know you're a legend in the industry and that you know a lot about audit. My background actually is audit. I did both financial audit and IT audit. So they were like, we know you know a lot about audit. Can you come in and consult with us and tell us how to transform our audit practice? And I went, uh, I can come in and give you ideas around what you might want to do, but it's going to be terribly cost prohibitive. I don't think you would want it. I don't think I would want to do it either to look at every single audit and tell you, you should use technology here. You should use data analytics there. You should, you know, do all this stuff. And there's a thousand ways to innovate audit, I would think, even though it's fairly standard. Exactly. And you need to understand the client and you need to understand the, the methodology, the nuances of the methodology. Like there's a lot of things that occur in audit. And so that's where I, you know, I went, I told them, I think what we can do instead is do something where we raise awareness. So that's the innovation awareness. We raise the awareness of your staff on what innovations are possible. And again, this is more than just technology uh, in audit. And then as they go through the audits themselves, they can start to identify these 
opportunities. And uh, PwC actually had done this. So our, we're using, we've, uh, we've kind of looked at the PwC model around how they took it. And in the US, they actually had, um, I forget the name of a course, but they had a course that they made all of their US staff all the way through partners, including all the admin staff go through this course around these are the, the key things. So for example, our innovation awareness course covers data analytics, data visualization, blockchain, uh, automation, which includes robotic process automation and artificial intelligence. And then we also talked about the future of audit, just to paint the picture of this is where audit is going to go in the next, again, kind of three to five years. And we've, so we created this course that was intended to raise the awareness of the audit team, the admin team, the partners, because oftentimes the partners feel intimidated, stupid. And so we said, well, you know what, Harry, just look at this so that you at least understand the basics of someone says, oh, I want to use RPA. What is RPA? Well, then we can start to, um, they can do that. And the idea is that you take this course, you have all the staff take it, and they're now able, as they go through their engagements, to say, hey, maybe there's this thing. Uh, maybe we can use data analytics here instead of doing traditional testing. And then so what the firm then needs to do is identify some champions within the firm that are, we, and we call them transformation agents, that are people that have more of an intermediate level of understanding of these things. So someone, for example, that's trained to build the RPA, the, the accounting robots or audit robots, as it might be. So the, a person can take the idea to them, say, hey, I... I I think we could do this here. And then you've got someone that can validate and say, yeah, that makes sense. Let me try and do something for you that maybe actually create the robot. And then if they figure out, hmm, I'm actually hitting a limitation, then the third escalation, or I guess second escalation is to the IT team. Hey, we really need some help. And probably, um, you know, uh, then starting to look at how do I do data acquisition, you know, the, the more technical stuff. So now you've got not just one or two people that have to do this this innovation. You've got the whole firm and then a subset of that as well. That's not just, again, kind of just IT because it's hard to find core IT people. And the other thing that we found is that you can't take an IT person and throw them into audit. The way that we think about audit, the way that we think about risk and controls is very different than anything else. And so trying to pull an IT person even into your, into your audits and go, here, help me find some final way to improve this, that doesn't work either. One of the things you do well, Donnie, is when it comes to knowing what works, is not to put a, a finger in the air and see which way the wind's blowing. You do a lot of research and you, you collaborate a lot on this. So you've got very hard evidence for what is provable and what really makes the difference. Talk to us a little bit about your approach to research. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, it's, I, I'm glad you recognize that because I do think that's one of the things that differentiates me. Well, everyone's an expert, you see. Everyone thinks they know the right answer and the world is full of silver bullets and, and magic solutions, but it comes down to knowing what works through experience and track record, and this is what you monitor. Exactly, and I, I use blockchain as kind of an example in that a lot, where there was all this hype around blockchain, and I was sitting there going, I don't get it. I don't understand why everyone thinks this is going to solve all the world's problems. Like, it's kind of cool, but... It's based on a technology from like the 70s, link list technology. And all they did was, was embed cryptography over that. And then I got to see the, you know, they talk about these smart contracts. And then I got to see how these smart contracts are created. And I went, um, that's just traditional programming. <laughs> and it's sort of event-based programming, which has also been around since the 90s. Um, there's, there's nothing particularly new or innovative here that I think is going to transform business. Uh, and so I kind of sat and waited, though, because I was like, everyone is talking about this and this is crazy. I don't see it. And I tried to model out 
said, well, how would I see this blockchain adoption occurring? So this is part of the way that I will think through things is, again, we kind of have these blueprints where we look at it and we say, okay, here's what the accounting process looks at. Where would I put blockchain? Uh, blockchain actually, when we looked at it, would fall in the same places that you would put EDI, electronic data interchange. And EDI has been with us, um, I think it's since the 80s. And uh, then we went, well, the other thing that blockchain does is it brings all these parties together because EDI was really one party to another party, right? Peer-to-peer -peer kind of a transmission. So these consortiums, that's actually the value-added network. So the VANs, like Ariba is still around today. Uh, that's also from the 90s. And so I went back and I said, well, why did these things not get broader adoption? Because we don't see everyone using these things. And the whole need for the consortium and consensus around what is the data we're transmitting? How is that formatted and all this type of stuff? That's the things I look at that and I go, well, blockchain's going to have that same problem because there's no standard out there. There's nothing that's driving that. And, uh, you know, so I, I was quiet for a long time. And then finally, I'm, we're like th three, four years into this blockchain. And I started saying, you know what? I'm going to start saying that I don't think it's going to do this. And I had and I had my reasons. And the other thing that I do, I do it as part of my courses, is I like to present to accountants, this is what something does, and this is the way that it works, and this is the way it'll fit in the accounting process. And I survey back. So whether if I'm speaking, I do polling. Um, if it's like a webinar, we might do a survey type of research to then say, what do you accountant see as the potential given that this is the way this thing is going to implement. And uh, we're, we were, we're seeing the same things. So, uh, you know, our research methodology is really one kind of just rethink through something, take, compare it to the blueprints that we have of how we know something works, look ourselves, figure out what our position is, but in the spirit of trying to get a objective and unbiased thought out there, we provide a description of what it is. And then we ask the audience, which are accountants, and I speak at probably 30 to 40 events a year of tell us what you think, is this going to change something? So we ask, what is the severity of change here? Is it no change or, or uh, immaterial? Is it mild, moderate or severe? And we're purposely using words that come back from risk management, so that it's terms that accountants are familiar with, and we're not having to define what is it better, you know, like any those types of things. And we find that um, a lot of accountants, again, kind of in the blockchain are going, ah, it's probably mild, maybe moderate for some that have a lot of supply chain implementations. Um, as I say that, I should say, I, I don't mean that blockchain is not going to have everything, the supply chain implications of blockchains aren't huge, but they're not accounting implications necessarily. For many people, blockchain's a little bit far away. What is here and now is things like diversity, equity, and inclusion. I know you've looked at that as well, haven't you? We have. And a great example of switching from technology into the non-technology aspects of innovation. Yeah. So DE&I is really part of the people changes that we need to see there. Uh, we did some research uh, with about 20, re 20 promotional partners looking at DE&I practices. So the thing that sparked this was we, you know, we're looking at these, these, these diversity and originally diversity and inclusion practices, right? And you, it, it was, I sat there because I would, I would listen to these updates around what was happening. And I would hear say, people say, you know, we're spending millions of dollars on diversity and trying to get minorities and all this stuff. And we're not making any progress. And I was kept sitting there thinking, why are we not making progress? And do people not believe that this is actually important? And, you know, going back to uh, the AICPA had done CPA Horizons 2025 
back in 2012. And so that was when I was part of the advisory panel there that was looking at. So we in 20, we actually, the research was actually done in 2011. We were looking at 2025 to say, okay, 14 years from now, what does the profession look like? And it's scary, we're, we're only like two and a quarter years away from that. Uh, but what does the profession look like? And one of the aspects was the beijing of the profession, or beijing of the world, really. The fact that we were seeing, starting to see more interracial marriages, right? It's not just a white dominant culture, and that a lot of the minorities were starting to gain more traction and more uh, per se presence within the profession. Beijing meaning the homogenization, not the the city Beijing, I was just thinking there. Yeah, I get what you mean. More of a blending. Exactly, exactly. And and also the fact that the white is not going to be the majority anymore, especially here in the US, it's, that it's not the majority anymore. And so the conversation was really coming up of like, how do we deal with this? And so from 2012, which is when the, the research was actually released, till uh, you know, a couple of years ago, really I was kind of looking at it and going, hey, we have not made a lot of progress. And we're spending not millions, but billions of dollars in here. You look at what all of the different associations are doing, right? What, what is actually going on in the US? We had all of the, the riots and things that were occurring uh, over the course of the pandemic because of the discrimination and the, the police discrimination, and other things that were occurring. And I, I really kind of sat and thought, you know, what, what's going on here? And then the Boomer Group actually organized a consortium of DE&I people. And I, I'm purposely using the word people because it was a mix of consultants, core HR people, people like myself that are consultants to the profession, but not necessarily specialized in HR. There's some HR consultants, there's some DE&I consultants. So they had a good mix of people that they pulled together, you know, all kind of thought leaders in the profession. And we were talking about the issues and everyone had different ideas around, well, what do we need to do to get this? And, you know, if someone's like, we need to ma make mandatory DE&I uh, uh, education the same way we need to have ethics ed education mandatory. And I went, I don't know if that's actually the right answer. Uh, but, you know, everyone kind of had their idea of what they thought had to happen. And there was definitely not a consensus. So I, going back to research and data, I was like, well, I want to know what the profession thinks it needs and what do they see? And so we created this DEI journey research study, which is really looking at this DEI journey. That's all everything we look at as a journey, the transformation journey, the DEI journey in this case. And how do we accelerate the journey? So how do we get people faster to where we want to get? So we identified all of the different phases in the journey, the different things that help accelerate different parts of the journey. And we said, hey, what is how important is this? How helpful would this be to you? And that was what we asked in our survey. And we're still actually compiling the results. But the one that clearly was the standout from what from the preliminary things that I looked at was the need for an assessment and a roadmap along the journey. So that's probably you heard me say we do assessments earlier. So that's probably going to be one of our next big projects is let's create an assessment around DE&I to help organizations really understand where are they. And you know, there's a few of them out there but most of them are designed for really large companies. And so we're going to look at doing one that's more for small and mid-size. Well, thank you for that, Donnie. This is really enlightening. And D and I, I've also heard the A put on the end of that, which is accessibility. And just a, an example of how things are evolving all the time. We'll put your contact details in the show notes, Donnie, so that people can reach out to you. But would you just leave us with a, a couple of tips for the accounting professionals listening to be a little bit more innovative in their thinking and pivot a little bit better in these challenging times. So let, let's start first with what you said earlier, which was, you know, accountant, accountants are not innovative. Um, so first there, I think 
it's to first start with, I don't want to adopt something just because someone else is doing it. I need to start first with what are the core issues that I'm having? So whether they're staffing, whether it's workflow, whether it's we're not delivering things on time, we're missing deadlines, start with the problem. <clears throat> then I like the five whys approach, which I, which I think comes from um, um, Lean Six Sigma. Say, how do you go, go back and ask yourself five times? So if we're late on something, why are we late? And it's we're late because people are not reviewing things timely. Well, why are we not reviewing things timely? Well, there's too much work on their desk. Well, why, why are... Why is there too much work on their desk? Uh, could be a variety of reasons. Maybe there's maybe there is just too much work, right? So the solution is to get more people. Maybe it's uh, that person themselves is overloaded. Uh, it's maybe it's one person that's the bottleneck. We need to spread the work out some more. Maybe that person's a hoarder of work, so we need to spread it, right? So start with the problem. Ask yourselves the five whys to figure out what actually is going on, and also potentially to brainstorm and look at. What are the potential options or solutions? How could we do this? And then start to look for the solution. And that will help people make sure that they're doing a pivot that is actually meaningful and is looking at the holistic picture of what's happening. That's been excellent. Donny Shimamoto, we really appreciate your time today and your insights. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Thank you for listening to this new talent in accounting podcast this is a relatively new show but already has over a thousand listeners so we appreciate you tuning in and sharing the show with your connections if you have a potentially good guest you'd like to see on the show with some great insights on talent reach out to me on linkedin with a message and we'll follow them up and as we build this show up we're looking for a couple of sponsors for whom talent and the accounting finance space is important Loads of great opportunities to get your brand out there and show your key messages and even get some of your own guests on the show. Again, drop me a message on LinkedIn to tee up that conversation. And for great podcast content elsewhere, make sure you subscribe to our main show, Accounting Influencers, goes out every Monday. And join the 40,000 listeners in 150 countries for brilliant interviews with the top leaders, experts, and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. Finally, why don't you join us and our community with some conversations at our next virtual speed networking session. These are now taking place every two months for accounting, finance, and tech professionals. 75 minutes of speed dating, great discussions, raising your personal profile, making new connections. Go to accountinginfluencers.com to register your free place for our next event. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.